0: Well, good morning. good morning. Good morning. So this is Epiphany Sunday. Uh, now, Epiphany actually celebrates in the Christian calendar. It celebrates the arrival of the wise men to come and bring their gifts to Jesus. So that's what this day celebrates. So I thought that uh, what would make sense then for a morning like this is to, uh, is to bring a wise man to come and talk to you. Uh, this is my dad, Robert.
1: <laughs> Hi. We know David's theologically sound, but there was three wise men, <laughs> so perhaps Bobby should have been here. Well,
0: you know, I, uh, I, I wonder if by the end of this sermon, if, my, if people might think that three wise men are somewhere off stage, <laughs> and you know, we're going to have to play some other characters. You can be Joseph, I'll be Mary. Uh, yeah, and,
1: yeah, uh, yeah, what you do in your own time, David, that's fine. <laughs>
0: So, um, in fact, so it was a real. My dad was over visiting from the UK and I felt that a couple of weeks vacation was too much for him. So I said, hey, come and teach with me on, uh, on Sunday morning. And then I was just thinking uh, this morning as I was getting ready, that I think the last time that you and I uh, shared a stage to do any sort of teaching together must have been about 25 years ago.
1: Yeah, it has to be that. You would, you would notice if there was a picture because my waistline would be considerably thinner <laughs> and, and I would be able to remember a lot more. <laughs> And I took the lead where now roles are reversed. <laughs> well, well, it's
0: great to have you with us this morning, Dad. Thank you, Dad. David. And, uh, and, um, and my hope is that at the end of this sermon, if nothing else, people will have somebody to blame uh, for, <laughs> for what they put up with every week from me. Um, But uh, what I want to do is begin actually by just dumping us into the story uh, of Epiphany itself. So if you have a Bible or if you're using the church app, uh, you'll notice that the the reading for this morning is Matthew chapter 2. The reading goes like this After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So here's this story that we're working from, where where Matthew gives us an insight into the sort of birth and, and arrival of Jesus. Now, what you kind of notice is a little interesting is that we, and we've talked about this in this series already, where we, we kind of tend to sort of mush all of the Christmas stories together into one story in our head. So we talk about the nativity story and we all kind of know what this story is. You know, there's, there's shepherds, there's camels, there's donkeys, there's a stable, there's baby Jesus and a major star, and, and wise men. And then when we actually go and look at the texts themselves, often the texts do a little bit of different things to us, right? So you get this story here about the Magi and it comes in, and you'd be forgiven for thinking, oh, well, Matthew's told you everything beforehand. But chapter one of Matthew, it literally tells you the genealogy of Jesus. We talked about that a few weeks ago uh, here at Westside. And then, and then he tells you this story about how, about how M- Joseph was a little uncomfortable about what was going on, and his fiance is now pregnant, and, and, and he's, he's thinking,
1: I just need to kind of make an exit from this situation. Joseph then. Can I interrupt? One, one of the things that David said, you can interrupt me anytime you want, so... <laughs> You don't get that often, so <laughs> I thought I would take advantage of it. One of the things that, in fact, I was preaching there a few weeks ago at our nativity uh, in, in our home church. And, you know, over the years, as you probably have done as well, you've seen nativity scenes, you've seen cows, donkeys, lobsters. You know, I spiders. Was a, I was a penguin in the Christmas yeah. play once, and I still don't know, you, you know why. Sometimes there's <laughs> wise men, sometimes there's not, sometimes. But there's always a babe. You know, and, and I think this is what Matthew's trying to do, is to singular our thoughts on these wise men who knew what they were doing, mm. came to see the babe. The babe who would change the world. Mm. And that's really, I think, where Matthew's Really pointing everything towards this this babe that's going to, and the the kind of helplessness, the hopelessness, Mm. the vulnerability Mm. of this babe who nonetheless would change the world.
0: Yeah, and so what's interesting in that is you actually then, if you read Matthew chapter one and Matthew chapter two, is there's actually not a lot there that you would expect. No. Joseph gets this visit from an angel who says, "Hey, you know what? You should, you should. Uh, this is all God's plan, and you should stick with it." And then the next line is chapter two, verse one, which says, "After Jesus was born." And you feel a little bit ripped off. You're like, "Wait a minute! Where's my, where's my stable and my manger and, and, and this?" And, and actually, it. So for me, this is a really interesting thing, and I think we should always ask this when we read a biblical text why does Matthew tell us this story? You know, of all the stories he could tell us of, of, of you know, shepherds and angel appearances and the, the no room in the inn, he doesn't tell us any of that. He tells us magi came from the east, yeah. you know. Um, and it, the, the, you know, this, for me, is, is, is worth holding on to, because they're, they're kind of not the sort of people you want coming to visit the Jewish Messiah. No. <laughs> they, uh, the, you know, there's an irony, uh, you know, in that they're, you know, magi, you might hear the sound of the word magic in that, uh, they're, they're kind of magicians, yes. uh, they're astrologers, they're astrologers. Yes. you know, they, if they were around today, they'd write horoscopes in, in local newspapers. Um, you know, like, these, these are not the people you expect turning
1: up to visit Jesus, right? No, but, but don't you find, in, as you read the Bible and in life, it's sometimes the very opposite people you expect pointing people to Jesus. Yes. You know, even, and God uses things, people, places to get us back on the track because at the end of the day, God's sole purpose, mm. perhaps that's a bit pushing it, but he wants us to be where he wants us to be. Mm. And sometimes even, uh, you know, uh, King Saul, when, remember when mm. things were going wrong and King David was starting to rise and his last final attempt, you know, was to go to the witch of Endor and mm. say, you know, what's this all about and what does the witch of Endor do? None another than raise Samuel and Samuel yes. says, it's over, Paul." You know, so God has this, amazing ability to yes. use unexpected things and people yes to point
0: to jesus and, and this and i think matthew's doing this for us because one of the things that Matthew wants to sort of subtly break for us is our boundary lines. Yeah. So so you have these these astrologers from the east who have somehow figured out from the stars that God's doing something yes. in Bethlehem yes. and they've said right we've got to we've got to be there. Yes. You know? but of course they turn up to Bethlehem and uh, to Jerusalem rather yeah. than think well we've got to go and uh, we've got to go and find the king and they turn up to Herod and they make this statement like we're here to find the one who's born
1: king of the Jews. Yeah, that, that, that must have. You know, we were reading this last night, David, not, not last night, a couple of nights before, and that must have scared the life out of him yeah. because he was born king of the Jews where Herod was an imposter. He had no lineage to be where he was. And and here we've got these three wise men coming from the east to say, uh, you, may,
0: you may want to unpack that a little more, just to give you some help. Canadians don't relate to the notion of a leader of a country that they don't think is qualified. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so so you know, un, unlike us in UK, unlike us in the UK. You know. uh, so um, so so you may just you know find yes. that that's, you know.
1: Yes. So so <laughs> here we here we've got this leader who. And all he wants to do now is kill him because, because he's going to take his place. And, and the other thing that, that, you know, we read in the text as David read it is that he was perturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Have you ever noticed how negativism grows like a wildfire? Mm. You know, so we've got to be careful in that in our own, our own lives yeah. that we don't... Catch on to the negativism of what's going on,
0: and so so that and that creates the irony for Matthew, doesn't it? On one hand, you've got the people that should recognise the coming of the Messiah, Jerusalem and the King, don't. Yes. And then you've got these <laughs> these these astrologers from, from that are not. And this seems to be Matthew's yes. point: they're not Jewish, yes. they're Gentiles, yes. and here they are coming. And this, of course, is going to be a big point in Matthew's story: that the gospel is for everybody. And, salvation sans frontier Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've no yeah. idea. Okay. What they, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you again you're in the wrong part of Canada okay, okay, for that okay sorry. uh the no. I apologize uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> see in Scotland we can speak
1: English and English
0: yeah, yeah. it's true Both. <laughs> Both types, both types <laughs> of English. <laughs> um, so, so then you've got so you've got this story going on of these the wide borders of grace. But then the bit that really kind of jumped out to me as I read this story this year is that not only have you got the wrong people coming, if you understand what I mean by the wrong people, you know, the unexpected people coming to worship Jesus, then the net result of the story is that 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 Joseph, who's this strange character in Matthew, because he's kind of in a background, but he's also so much the focus, we know so little about him. He has this dream, his second dream. Yeah. First dream told him, uh, you know what, Mary is pregnant, but God's doing something here, so hold on to it, which is remarkable if you think about it. And mm-hmm. I found that hugely hopeful this year as I read it, that you know that Joseph and Mary and Jesus form this kind of blended
1: family. Yeah, I think, don't, don't you see, when you, when you read the story of Mary and Joseph, you know, and, and Joseph, he's an unsung hero really, isn't At he? At some level, yes. You know, because he gets very little press. And apart from the wobbly bit at the start where yeah. he tried to get rid of Mary in the sly, <laughs> apart from that, he was, he was incredibly faithful. Yes. You know, and, and really, we as Christians, that's actually all God asks us to be, to be trying to be faithful in honesty. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've made more mistakes than probably most Christians, but there's an honesty and faithfulness, and that's yeah. surely what Matthew had, you know. Yes. And in some senses, I can... Identify with his plight of what's going on, not the part that his son was illegitimate, you know. But uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't identify with that. But <laughs> you, you that
0: was, <laughs> at a very brief moment, I had that nervousness that this was going to be one of those shows, and now you're real
1: father. <laughs> 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 it's, it's funny you should mention that. <laughs> the, yeah but you know you you've got to identify with Joseph where mm. things seem to be going wrong but is mm. encouraged by God to do the right thing mm. and and lo and behold it's absolutely right.
0: Yes. Yes. And and and, and I found myself reading this thinking, you know, like for those of us that feel like the perfect world is the one that God wants for mm. everyone, here you've got the son of God being raised by a man who's not his dad. Yeah. Like if ever there's a sense that maybe our idea of what the Christian family must look like might not always be that way. I think this is a really yeah, kind of helpful, no, yeah. sort of hopeful piece for many of us. And, and, and then you get Joseph, he, he gets told to take Jesus to Egypt which is kind of um, surprising if you know biblical history, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's that's like a Scotsman going to England. You know, uh, you know, the Lord's called me to England. Goodness gracious me, you know. But I, again, that's that. I just I think that's so all-encompassing. If you look at Israel in the map, and you can look at all the various places round about, they could go to Crete or Cyprus or mm. north to Syria. All nicer places in Egypt mm. because Egypt was the the anathema to the Jew. Yes. Because if you go down the banks of the Nile, there's there's temples and pagan worship after pagan worship after pagan worship. And coming from an old testament background, that must have been like living in America. <laughs> you know.
0: Us Scots, we're quick learners about, <laughs> about cultural climate and <laughs> the, um, both the Scottish people and Canadian people share that sense that we have southern
1: neighbours that we're yeah. a little nervous yeah. of.
0: <laughs> um, and uh, so... Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> the, I come you... from a town called Falkirk, which is one of the few places that we beat the English and Boy, do we not let them forget that. <laughs> you know. I was um, When you were talking about Joseph,
0: I, I found myself thinking back to this, uh, this quote by David Brooks in, in one of his recent books where he talks about, he's talking about moral formation. And he just says this in the middle of this quotation. He says, character is not something you build sitting in a room thinking about the difference between right and wrong and about your own willpower. Character emerges from our commitments. Uh, and other words, the quotes longer than that. But, but I found myself mm. when you were talking about Joseph's faithfulness, mm. that idea came to me that, that Joseph doesn't theoretically sit there think about things. Instead, what Joseph does is, is you know, if you, it's quite a remarkable story if you think about it. He All he has to go on is a dream. Yeah. Uh, uh, he gets this dream that God's in this. It's a weird situation. Your, your fiancé's pregnant, but you've got to trust me on it. And then the next thing he goes, and now you've got to go and live amongst uh, amongst who you thought were your enemies. You know, and amongst, you know, Jesus, the son of God, grows up where his own religion, his own father, isn't known in the place that he, that he grows up. And, and Joseph does this, and he's committed to making this happen.
1: We, we were reading this the other night there again, David and I, and, you know, I've, I've read bits of the Bible from time to time. You know, it's a fair book. But when we were reading this, it struck me, and I've, I must have read it dozens and dozens of times, as, as you do when you read scripture, sometimes you miss things. In this particular case, Joseph gets the dream in the night and in the night wakes up and gathers his family and heads to Egypt. Mm. There are times in our life when God speaks to us that, that we need to act immediately yes. because if Joseph hadn't acted immediately, we wouldn't be here telling the story because Herod's executioners would have been at his door. Yes. So we need to be very careful as, we're, as we grow up in Christ that, that we get to understand when the times when God speaks to us we need to do things immediately yeah. and then in the converse of that when Joseph is in Egypt and Herod dies there is no rush to come back so it's getting to know the voice of God there's an interesting one in on the side David if I can say this some years ago I played Santa Claus with all the beard and stuff and young Chloe our other granddaughter who would probably be about five at the time she came up and sat in my knee and I said so what's your name Matilda and she looked at me took the present and went away. She says, that was you, Dad. Granddad. I says, how did you know it was me? Your voice. And is that not what Jesus said? My sheep know my voice. You know, and that's the encouragement that we should get from the story is learn to know the voice of God and act on it. So,
0: so that is, for me, is, is an interesting, you know, kind of connection point then to one of the reasons I wanted to talk to, to you about this. I wasn't just trying to drag you on stage, but, but I, I, as I read this story of Joseph, and the commitment to to do what he finds himself in the midst of, I find myself wondering sometimes about the kind of parallels to the sort of story that we've lived in mm-hmm. in our lives as a family, and particularly the story that you had to lead us yeah. to. You know, so if I go back to the to the sort of late seventies, early eighties, you know, I'm uh, you know uh, just about born, uh, well born, depending on what yeah. part of yeah. uh, uh, where in the Star Wars trilogy we start the story, um, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, and, and you're doing quite well uh, in business. Uh, you know, I remember us having you know n- nice houses to live in. Uh, we had nice cars. You had a car phone, which I think was a big deal because yeah. people from church used to come around to see the car phone. Uh, it, it, was, it was about this size. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. um, and you know, we had a boat. So we used to go yeah. sailing at the weekends. And you know, and then you know, you you tell us as a family one day, hey, we're moving to Africa, and we move from a relatively comfortable life. To, you gave me some pictures here. Uh, here's the village that we grew up in, in Sierra Leone, um, so, uh, which was s- slightly different than Scotland. Um, yeah, the, the goats were the same. The, yeah. Um, and then, you know, so, so you, say, you gave me some of these pictures here. Uh, this is us trying to get to church, uh, to a different church we had to go visit. Uh, you'll notice the, the road, uh, actually not wholly dissimilar to a Canadian uh, road. Uh, but. <laughs> You know, we're crossing this bridge here, and these guys are walking ahead to make sure the bridge is safe
1: enough to drive the vehicle across. And the guys not only are looking at the bridge, they're guiding you. And when you drive, when you come into an airport and you see the Batman bringing the jumbo in, he's an amateur. These guys were going, and if it was two inches that way, you were in the river.
0: Yeah. You know. um, and then uh, you, you gave me this picture of, of, of me walking to church one time, which uh, I'm reticent to show. Um, you see, Uh, He's never lost
1: his coolness.
0: uh, Well, you see, though, I would contest that based on the next picture that you gave me. Um, uh, He was was always a habitual studier. uh, Um, And you see that picture and think about me as a studier. I just wonder why I'm not wearing a bra, to be honest with you. Because... That picture's a little revealing, (laughs) uh, you know. um, And and as if the the shame isn't quite bad enough, here is a complete fashion disaster. Um, Despite being a runner, I have never worn shorts that short since, Um, you know. Even the dog's kind of ashamed in the picture. You can kind of, you can kind of tell, you know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So so we were aside from these embarrassing pictures. So you know, we we grew up in a yeah. in in a, in a slightly different context. And so I find myself now curious to sort of almost ask, you know, how do you get from you know you know, waking up in the night and taking your kid to Egypt, how did you get from a successful business career to sort of, you know, like I, I was yeah. very, very young, but I can still remember the contrast from comfortable living to being yeah. very poor yeah. and then finding ourselves in a different part of the world, which a, a part of the world that ended up as a war zone yeah. by
1: the time we were finished yeah. there. It, it's quite, the, the, the way the call worked, and it's quite funny because, you know, some people view when they chat to me and you see you're a missionary and they hold you up here and think you've done something extraordinary above and beyond the call of duty but that's not the case we're all given a task to do we've all to do and make changes in our lives and we've all to try and impact people and change people's lives that's really our goal but for me how it all happened was I, I got headhunted and got flown down to London to, to get interviewed for a job. And in the process of that, some other company wanted to speak to me. also knew I was coming to London. And I got both jobs and batted the two off one another and ended up with an extremely good salary package and, and all the rest of it. And I thought, this is me. I'm set for life now. This is, this is the way to go. And then got on the plane, and was was it was a mid-afternoon plane from, from Heathrow back to Edinburgh, so it wasn't busy. And I'm sitting in the plane, and you get that, you know, get that relaxed way. I'm the man, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and I was thinking, you know, I've just been given this incredible package and in a job that I have no idea how to do. Uh, and I thought, this is it. And then suddenly this voice came, and it said, Robert. You've talked your way into that job. And that's exactly what I had done. It's now time to talk for me. And I, I, you know, the big high seats in the (laughs) place. I thought it was one of my friends were behind me or something. And that really, really moved me. But did I act on it? No, I completely ignored it because I was going where I wanted to go. And then in the midst of the two years that followed, I got talking with another company that wanted me to be sole importers for this particular... I was in IT, this IT thing, and, and it would, I, would have been, I would have been a millionaire, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. I hope, I wish, perhaps. <laughs> but all the time this is going through, and we're trying to get all the strings tied together, and there's one or two difficulties that are not quite getting there. And all the time I'm going to bed at night, and God's saying... I remember I spoke to you remember I spoke to you remember. and anyway I couldn't take it anymore and this night I said okay okay God whatever you want I'm for it the very next day I got the phone call to say everything was in place and I had to say I'm sorry I'm going to Africa as a missionary and they thought I was bonkers is that a, an okay word?
0: people will figure it out <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah okay <laughs> they, th- they thought something had happened in, up, upstairs you know but you know the timing of that was perfect, mm. and these are the things that you need to, and we've all got them in our lives, that you need, to, you need to guard up and put in a bottle because there'll come a time in your life when things are really, really hard. You'll wake up in the morning and you'll think, does God even exist? Am I kidding myself? That's when you go to your jar. And you take out these remembrances and you say, no, I'm okay now. And that's what the children of Israel do you know, at, at the, the Passover, isn't it? Yeah. They look back and remember how good God's been to them. Yeah. And so that was, that was how that came about. The negative aspect, we decided that I would sell my house and support me through seminary. All through that period of time, my house didn't sell. Uh, ended up selling it at a loss. So started off in seminary with no money. Mm. And actually, in actual fact, negative money. Uh, no fees, no anything. You know, but God was showing me that he would do it his way, not my way. And that's a lesson, again, we need to learn as Christians. Mm. God's way is not necessarily our way.
0: And, but how, how do you, you know, when you think about, like, you know there's a cost to that there's a there's a there's a sacrifice to that you know going from you know sort of you know decent finance to no finance and i remember that you know i remember yeah. i remember nights as a young kid where i as i look back i realized that you know me and my sister ate food and you didn't you know and i remember i remember sort of you know uh, all sorts of sort of things. But, the, the, you know, you're just in it as a child in that sort of sense. But, how, you know, the sense of sacrifice, you know, to go from probably more significant than finances, go from, no secu- from security to, to apparently no security, or at least that's how it yeah, appears. There's
1: two thoughts in there, David, really. One is, I've always found the easiest thing God can supply is money. Mm. The hardest thing God can supply is commitment. Mm. And when you look at that, then if you take sacrifice, you see, sacrifice, when you're in the will of God, and you know you're in the will of God, because it, you just it, you know, all your ducks are in a row, you feel it. When you're in that, you don't see the sacrifices, it's the external people that see the sacrifice. Yeah. When, when I told our church that I was heading to Africa with, with you two, they thought, Again, something had gone wrong because, mm. as far as they were concerned, I'd made it. Yeah. But you know, looking back in life, when I was when I was really, really when I became a first Christian, one of the things that worried me was I could see the other Christians. And, in, and you became a Christian in your kind of late teens. Yeah, like later, about 1920, I became a Christian. So you're also,
0: so you're also, uh, yeah, sort of 19 or 20. Yeah, yeah, it's that 20. long ago. Uh, they... No, definitely,
1: <laughs> definitely wasn't 1920. <laughs> not, at least not that I'm aware of. Scottish water is good yeah, for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: The you know but, but both you know your your whole fa- surrounding family are not Christians so you're no. trying to navigate this yeah, they're, they're, in a context. Yes, yeah, so
1: I was I'm you know the only Christian in our family at that mm. particular time, uh, and so you're navigating that. But but what was really trying to say there was one of the things that always frightened me was that you know I would end up in my 50s, 60s, mm. in a very very nice house with multiple cars and a bank balance that was really really good but feeling I had missed it. Mm. And that worried me, that I had missed what God wanted for me. So when the call came, and, and I realised what God wanted me for, it wasn't a sacrifice. I didn't right. see it as a sacrifice, but others did. Mm. But I'm very conscious that you and Debbie probably sacrificed more than I did. Mm.
0: But, I mean, well, so, so think about it. Another question, that, I suppose, in that then is, is to think about the sort of the lack of security then perhaps, or the fear elements. Because where we ended up living yeah. you know, wasn't. So like I think back over the time that we were there, I did you know, most of my kinda, um, kinda senior school and, and sort of junior high education yeah. out in Sierra Leone. You know, I, I nearly died from malaria at some point while I was there. Yeah, I got it. That, that, you know, was, that,
1: was that was a difficult time because there was a strain of malaria came through called chloroquine resistant and David caught that, but we didn't know that. And we kept feeding him chloroquine and and nothing was happening, nothing was happening. And you probably only were small hours away from requiring a blood transfusion or we would have lost them. But then somebody, and and through the annals of time, I can't remember who, said perhaps it's chloroquine and you can get these tablets. And I made the journey and got the tablets. And within hours, he was back on his feet again. So again, that's another thing where where somebody can impart something on other people okay. as almost an off-the-cuff, mm. but can have dramatic effects on people's lives.
0: But, you know, but we, you know, so you, you, there must be moments, so in one sense, you're dealing with you know, your, your son, because I mean, th- that story tells quickly,
1: I remember being ill for several oh, weeks. Yeah. I mean, if, and you've, if you've never had malaria, you don't know what it's like, because you're, you're, you're sweating, and I mean, you're burning, mm. then you're freezing, you can't get enough blankets on you, and then you're sick and then you've got diarrhea and then you and it's just this psych, and you've got to hydrate or you'll, you'll be, so you, you force what fluid down and as soon as you force fluid down, you vomit back. And really it uh, just goes on and on and on. I love
0: everybody thinking about me in this way. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. But, but so you've got, you've got in one sense, you've got you know, that must not be easy watching that happen to your son. Then, of course, in this sort of, what was it, this two-thirds of the time we were yeah. there, we find ourselves in the middle of a war. Yeah, you know, so there's, you know, you're, you know we're, we're shot at on more than one occasion. Yeah. You know, we're, we're constantly living at, at threat of, you know, having to leave in the night ourselves. In fact, we did leave in yes, the night at did. one stage because the war was on our doorstep. Yeah, you know, the, this
1: must it it, it, it it was difficult. There's no questions about it. Uh, but again, when you're in the will of God, you seem to be able to, Adapt and handle these things. I mean, you see people now, you know, they need to head off to a psychologist because they've broke their toe or whatever. But David was brought up through, you could walk up, you could go up to the local town, Maburika, and and they were selling on strings, fingers, and ears cut from rebels as amulets to protect you. The army trucks drove along the road with mounted heads on the, the, the bonnets of their cars. You know, so we, we lived with that. And, and when, it, when it all blew up, we lost some pastors. And as in fact we didn't die, we just lost them. Uh, but we knew where they are because the rebels had come through the country. So I went up to try and find them and bring them back. And as you were driving up through the country, about two to three miles away from a village, you knew you were coming to it because of the stench. Because when you reached the village, everything was dead. Cattle, chickens, people all just scattered all over the place. That was horrible. We got and eventually found the pastors and their wives and other people, and we drove back. And as you're driving these roads, you meet checkpoints at a regular basis. You're never really sure where, whether they're army checkpoints, whether they're rebel checkpoints, Mm. if you're going to lose your car, lose your life, or get through. Okay. And on the way back, I, uh, I didn't like the look of one of the checkpoints, so I decided not to stop, and they were taking multiple shots at the car. Fortunately, they were dreadful shots. Uh, so we got through that okay. But in saying that, remember also the time, David, you and I were going to Freetown. Freetown was about 130 miles away, six-hour trip, because uh, the roads were, could be iffy at times. And we would drive along, got to the checkpoint, you get through them, you get through them. And remember the one where we came, we just... We were forced out of the car at gunpoint and then taken down to a, a sort of compound and there was loads of people within the compound. We had no idea what was happening. We didn't know if we were gonna get a bullet in the head. And it turns out there was a coup go- taking place and the soldiers were actually taking us off the road to protect us. Mm. But you know, you don't know that at the time, so you're anxious and worried. So yeah, there were times when you, when, when there, you were worried, but yet again, you're still within the will of God. Mm. And that gives you an incredible, when I was a, a, first a, a young Christian, I read this book, John G. Patton, uh, Missionary to the New Hebrides, and he had this phrase, and I loved it, and it stuck with me all my life. I'm invincible until God tells me otherwise. You know, <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's the truth of it. Where you are where God wants you to be, nobody can touch you. The, I mean, so
0: like those stories like that, of course, you know, in one sense, I understand you know, saying you know that hey where are we're but but for many of us there 's a sense of you know like threat and terror when we hear stories like that and uh, I, as I hear you recount the stories, I wonder if maybe this is why I do need to see a psychologist on a regular basis <laughs> nowadays, but uh, there may be, maybe you guys are beginning to see some things come together um, the but then this, this connects then to another part of our of our conversation then, where I, I wanted to sort of phrase it, and I was thinking again about, about the Joseph story, and this question of, of what I call the denial of the ego. Mm. So somewhere in that process of having to say, okay, my agenda for life and what I want, and including therefore the impact and the security of my family, my, 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 my friends, my, my certainties, I need to put that secondary to what it is that God's trying to do. You know, in this particular situation. Uh, And that then creates, uh, you know, I think about this sense that the the, the Magi turned up and says, we're here to see the one who's born King of the Jews. And then we see Jesus hanging on a cross at the end of Matthew's gospel as King of the Jews. And we start to see the sacrifices that are involved and the denial, but also at some level, the culture of sacrifice that gets created. So you and I have talked recently about what happens when you you bring us up in that sort of environment, which to me, I would say as a son, like, a, I've had conversations with many people, that, some of my who might even be in this room just now, they've said, well, why would you move from one part of the world to another part of the world just to, to work in, in a church context? Um, and, and so for me, I feel like that was a culture that we developed almost growing yeah, up. Yeah, this, was, yeah. this was within the range. I just tried to move somewhere a little safer. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> you really? Know? You know, you can die of frostbite here anytime. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's harder no, to dodge frostbite. That's Yeah, I, I, it's a funny thing, but you know, David David was brought up all over the world really, uh, following me about most of the time. Now it's changed, and that's wonderful. <laughs> Just as an encouragement to parents here. I remember David when he was in his crib and I prayed over him and I said, "Father, make him better than his dad." And that's where we have to be in life. You know, your kids have got to be better than you or we're in a downward spiral. I'm still looking for that day. You know, but... Uh, oh, yeah, but, yeah when I remember when David, uh, when David announced that he was speaking to you here at Calgary, uh, I said to him, there's a, there's a philosophy that's followed my life, David, is, if you think God's leading you somewhere, gently push the door. Don't batter it. Don't kick it in. Gently push it. And if it's the right door for you, it'll open. And if it's the wrong door, leave it alone. Because it'll only bring grief. So when David said that he was thinking about said, push the door, David, and see what happens. And see if that's where God's leading you. And eventually, he came and you wanted him to be here. And he came up, and I remember the, the last day he came up with, Lux and Laura came to Linda and I and, you know, I'd done the fatherly thing, you know, let's pray and send you on your way rejoicing. As soon as he was in the car, I broke down, was in a good Scottish phrase, I was howling and greeting. (laughs) For days, Linda thought I was having a, a breakdown, I'm quite sure, you know, but that was the pain that I felt for your son going. And then when David and I were chatting about this, it made me realize that, you know, the Father, as in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, never gets a look in here. Can you imagine the pain that I felt, David coming? How must the Father have felt sending the Son?
0: Hmm.
1: He must have been breaking his heart, yeah. you know? And that allowed me to feel some of the pain that it cost us to be here today through Jesus Christ.
0: I mean, I, I immediately find myself thinking about. The, you know the the Christmas hymn of all yeah, Christmas yeah. hymns in Philippians two. You know where you see this sense of the descent that yeah. Jesus kind of in or the, the road to the cross takes him away from the Father, um, and it, it strikes me that, that that there's a sense in which the call of God brings us into a sacrificial life. Uh, you know regardless of what we try and do. Everybody's sacrifice will look different, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, and I find, like for me, as we were chatting and I was just sort of thinking about stuff, I found myself drawn to a piece of writing that you introduced me to, you know, years before, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. And Mm -hmm. this this amazing quote, which uh, we won't read all of, but it just says, you know, Grace is costly because it it calls us to follow, and it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life, and it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. And and I find that there's a sense of the depth of that in in the story of Joseph, uh, you know, and again, I'm I'm not wanting to draw, you know, and make you feel uncomfortable, but that sense of, of, for me, the privilege, I suppose, of growing up in a family where, the choice was made to make those choices when there were much easier choices, you know, on on offer. I suppose, yeah. in that sense, is is one. But I think it, most of us, at some level, will wrestle with this in one way or another of our lives, you know, as to what is God asking of me uh, and how do I work it out.
1: I, I, I think there's 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 a couple of scriptures that fly in my mind con- continually, and one is in in Matthew 19. I think I couldn't quote you on that, so. Look it up and point it out it was wrong later on. <laughs> it's where the rich, rich young ruler comes to Jesus and they have this conversation about the commandments. And Jesus takes the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments and knocks it down to two. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbour as yourself. Do that and you'll be okay. So these are the commandments and it's a kind of love-based thing. And then Jesus in John 12 later on and I think it's that, one of the hardest verses that you'll ever come across in Scripture. And it says, a new commandment. So we've had one, 10 to 2, and now we've got 3. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Yeah, it's easy, isn't it? <laughs> then he continues, as I have loved you. That's a, as we would say in Scotland, that's a pig with a different snout. You know? <laughs> As I have loved you, how much has Jesus loved me? Mm. And how much am I prepared to do to show the love that he showed me to you? That's the challenge I find. Mm. You know, and there's, there's, there's also that, you know, if, if, if you ask a storyteller, he'll say the important thing about a story is narrative. If I was asked to David as a philosopher, he would have said the important thing is to have hope. Whereas if I asked Lennon and McCartney, they would say all you need is love. <laughs> you know? And surely that's what it is. If we have love, mm. and did Paul not say love conquers all? Mm. Yeah. you know. And that's the truth of it. And that's the nutshell. That's what the babe in Bethlehem's all about. The love of the Father. That's what Jesus dying on the cross is all about. The love for us. Mm. And where we fit in that story, yeah. we we're only we're only bit parts. Yes. We're only playing the parts to make the story work. Yeah. And without us, there's no story. Yeah. And that's the challenging bit. When Jesus left them on the Mount Olives, there wasn't a plan B. Hmm. You know, it was us. Yeah. You know, to do our part, yeah. regardless how big or small that is.
0: Well, I'm going to let you have the last word on that. So thank you so much for... Uh, Agreeing to let me talk you into this. Thank you you for inviting
1: me, David. It's been a (laughs) pleasure.
0: So perhaps the the kind of beautiful thing uh, by way of benediction today is just to think about that what happened once upon a time in Bethlehem was much bigger than everybody realized, and it was for for the wrong people and the right people, and the people close up could miss it, but then whether it's, you know, wise men from the East, rebels with guns in Sierra Leone, an IT guy that followed the call of God. group of people in Calgary, there's this beautiful sense that the revelation, the epiphany of Jesus Mm. can change things for us. So may that be your Christmas story and your 2020 story as well. And may God's grace and peace be with you this week. God bless.